Uh, hey, glad you guys are here with uh, our series Christmas Unboxed. We're going to open our next gift today. Um, but uh, man, I just thought like, we need this Christmas cheer with these kids, right? We need it because we're in a dark month. Anybody else, like December is a dark month, isn't it? Uh, who, who here actually like you go to work in the dark and you come home from work in the dark? Yeah. We got a couple of people. Uh, we got some counseling around the corner, actually, uh, that I'd love to direct you to because I, I get it. Look, we need cheer. The, the reality is it is really dark this time of year, uh, and we need these lights. We need these Christmas, um, you know, kids celebrating all of this just to get us through the dark season of the month. Like, I am a summer guy. Anyone who knows me, I'm a summer guy because it does stay light out longer. These are the months for me that I have to kind of chew through uh, because they're challenging. Um, so, uh, you know, I was, I was thinking about it and like these, these lights really are not just for fun. They're essential for the mental and emotional well-being of every human being. Otherwise, I think we'd all go a little postal, right? Probably. Uh, you're like, man, someone's got to go visit Pastor Scott this week, make sure he's okay. Um, but the reality is the, the, the holiday of Christmas actually came not because of Jesus was born on December 25th. Uh, kind of newsflash, he wasn't. Uh, it was born out of a holiday that, us- that, that started actually because you just needed light. They celebrated light. This was hundreds of years ago. Christians hijacked the whole thing. Anyway, the reason we celebrate Celebrate in this season is because it's so dark. We need light. I mean, light kind of keeps us going through some of the darkness. Like, how many here actually you set up your Christmas lights right after Thanksgiving? Like, that was your deal. How many celebrated actually by putting them up after Halloween? Anybody? Like, pre Thanksgiving? Yeah, we got a couple people, uh, some crazies in the room, okay? Watch out for them. Uh, but there's something powerful about light. Because when you see it in the middle of darkness, it has a way of keeping us going, of like cheering us up, of energizing us, of showing us the way, moving us through dark times. Some of us in this room today, and maybe you watch it online, like it's not just physical, literal dark that you're experiencing right now. Like your dark times are a little bit deeper than that. Maybe for some in this room, like you came in with some emotional darkness. You're wrestling with that. And this season, maybe more than than any other, evokes some of those emotional memories, wounds, scars, things that happened in the past that you just want to forget. You want to lock in a box and just keep it far away. You know, I think the Christmas season is, is one of those challenging ones because the expectation that life is great and that we're celebrating at a, an ecstatic high is way up here. And life rarely meets those kind of expectations all the time, Right? And so for some of us in this room, I mean, maybe some of your darkness right now is you're experiencing some relational darkness. You're feeling distant from friends, or you're dis- distant from family. Maybe this season maybe brings up feelings of isolation and loneliness more than any other season. Maybe it's financial. I mean, for some of us, like the expectation that we give and that we, you know, we buy a ton of stuff in this season, like it just puts mounting pressure uh, on us, you know, in, in a really challenging way because we're having a hard time making it through just a month, you know, and with all the bills that we have. So, I mean, whatever it is, all, a lot of us, in, in beyond just the darkness in December, we're carrying in all sorts of different kinds of darkness into this room. And the big question for us this morning is, how do we navigate the dark? How do we navigate the dark? So if you have your message notes, uh, we're going to continue to work through this. Um, and we're going to ask that question, how do we navigate dark times that we're experiencing in life? But before we move even further, we have to define what darkness is. This might sound unbelievably obvious, but it's helpful. Let's define darkness. Darkness is simply 
the absence of light. I don't know if you thought about that, but darkness isn't actually a thing. Darkness doesn't exist as if it's some kind of a, a thing. It's actually just the absence of a good thing. That's what it is. Darkness is just the absence of light. Now, you can argue that the entire scope of Scripture is a battle between light and darkness. It's a, it's a battle of God actually trying to get light into dark places, and places that have no light whatsoever from beginning to end, starting with where God uh, on day one said, let there be what? Light. And he spoke his being, his values, his goodness into the created order. That's where it begins, and we see that theme carried all the way through Scripture of bringing light into dark places. And so if we're going to navigate this, if we're going to survive in life, and not just survive, but actually thrive, we have to ask the question, how do we grip on the light? How do we use it to navigate through dark times? So today, <laughs> surprise, surprise, the gift that we're going to be opening today is the gift of light. We're going, to we're going to open the gift of light in our series, Christmas Unboxed. And so uh, each week, uh, we're going to be working through some of the, the birth narratives of Jesus, some of these popular stories that you've been reading, but unpacking it maybe in a way that you haven't heard before. So we're going to begin in Matthew, but actually Matthew 9, uh, referencing a prophecy that goes back to a birth narrative favorite, uh, where it prophesied back hundreds of years earlier in Isaiah that Jesus would come into the scene as a baby. Uh, so that's where we're going to begin today. And in Matthew's gospel, when Jesus is beginning his ministry, uh, the gospel writer Matthew intentionally references uh, this prophecy of Jesus being born into this world in a dark time. Okay, so here's where we're going to begin today. This is uh, Matthew quoting Isaiah chapter 9, and he, and he says this, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So how do we use light to navigate dark times? Here's, here's point number one. You can, you can write this down in your notes. If we're going to allow light into our life, we do not avoid, this is the first one, we can't avoid, we cannot avoid the reality of darkness. And I don't know about you guys, but for some things in my life that I just don't like, I, I, I could wish them away. I could avoid it. I could also try to numb it. But the reality is, if we're going to really embrace light, we have to first own the fact that darkness is real. It exists, okay? Don't avoid it. Now, here's, here's why Matthew quotes this, okay, in Matthew chapter 4. The reason he references this, this prophecy from Isaiah is because he was going through a bit of a, tar, a dark time. And some of his followers, his movement was actually experiencing a dark moment. What happens? Well, you see, his cousin, John, John the Baptist, came in to try to usher Jesus and set people up for Jesus' ministry, and yet something bad happened to John. We read this in Matthew 4.12. It says, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, this is Jesus' cousin, John, of whom Jesus said, leading up to this moment, there's no one greater than this guy. John's the guy. He's an amazing dude. Something bad happened to him. I don't know about you guys, but when I read something like that, it kind of evokes inside of me an age-old question that humanity's been asking for a long time. Like, why do bad things happen to good people? Why does that happen? Why do a lot of us in this room, why, why do we experience some of these dark moments? 
Why are we experiencing dark moments relationally, emotionally, financially? Why, why do we experience these things? Matthew is very real. He doesn't avoid the reality of darkness. He tunes into it, and he references not just uh, John the Baptist's imprisonment, which we, we learn, <laughs> that doesn't go away. John's going to stay in prison, and his ending is going to be pretty rough. He's actually going to have his head cut off. Uh, that's how bad it's going to get. But Matthew's tuned into that, and so what he does is he gives his readers, as they're, as they're joining him in this dark moment, context of what Jesus is about to do as he enters into our darkness by referencing this prophecy back in Isaiah. This is where the quote, a people walking in darkness have seen a great light. It's not in just when times are great, it's when times are tough. So let's go back to Isaiah. Let's find out what, what was the context of this? Why, why was this written? Okay. So you have it in your, in your message notes here. Um, and I'm actually going to begin in verse 21 here in Isaiah 8. You have verses 19 through 20 there too, but I'm going to begin in, in verse 21 here. And this is the context of what Matthew is saying. Okay. Verse 21, distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land when they're famished. They will become enraged and look upward. They will curse their king and their God. And then they'll look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they're going to be thrust into utter darkness. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I wouldn't want that like painted over my house. You know, it's like that's a dark moment. These people are going through something really, really dark. In fact, I mean, what we read in this is that they're, they're, experiencing, they're experiencing psychological distress and they're also experiencing some hunger. They're not getting enough food. This, these are some of the conditions that they're experiencing. Uh, so much so that the reaction from them at this time when the nation of Israel is falling apart and foreign kingdoms are coming in and they're, they're trying to, to take the whole thing over, their reaction is cursing, anger, fear, distress, total gloom. Maybe some of you have had some of those feelings. My guess is not a lot of us in this room are experiencing physical hunger, you know. We're kind of well fed in America. We just had Thanksgiving for goodness sake. But maybe some of the hunger and famished feelings that you're experiencing is more on the relational front. I'm feeling lonely. We know in America that we're experiencing high levels of anxiety and depression. Psychological distress is a part of our fabric as a nation. So they respond to this darkness by one of two ways, and this is what is so helpful for us. When we, when we, when we realize just how dark it gets here, we're, we're realizing there's actually two unhealthy extremes that we can respond to some of these dark things in life. The first one, when you go back to verse 19, this is what this says, ready? This is what they tried to do to get out of their, their, their dark times, 19. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Like, why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to his word, they've got no light of dawn. What is he trying to get at there? They turn to certain people to give them answers when they could never provide the answers to some of the darkest questions that they had. Are the two ways that we can respond to darkness and try to avoid it, to try to numb it, to get it out of our life, is one, by looking to our own efforts, and two, 
by going into total despair and just numbing ourselves. okay? This is what they did. The medium and spiritists, these were the, the, the knowledgeable people of the day, you know? We kind of think of them as pretty superstitious, like why would we ever go to mediums and spiritists? Like when was the last time maybe some of you visited a spiritist this week? If you did, uh, let's talk afterwards, please. Um, but uh, look, uh, these were the intellects of the day. These were the people that they would, like they didn't have Google, they didn't have psychiatrists or doctors, but this is what they would Google. This is where, this is the psychiatrist that they would go visit. The mediums and spiritists, these are the people that had the answers. And so they would go there because they would somehow be able to fix their problems, right? If I got some issues, these are the people I'm going to. The reality though, it's not working. And so it led them to total despair. For some of us in this room, man, like we, when life is hard, your go-to is I got this. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to put it in my own strength. I'm, I'm going to research it. I'm going to, I'm going to get the kind of help that I need. And then I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to figure this out. And one of the messages we get in the Christmas season is really this idealism that if we just work together, if we just get enough science and innovation, if we have enough stuff around us, like we can make life good. We can make life good. This is repeated all throughout history. Uh, I was thinking about this this week. Uh, one of the historical patterns that we see repeated uh, was beautifully illustrated in the, the time pre-World War II and post-World War II. Hang with me on this one, okay? Right before World War I and World War II, there was an incredible idealism in the world. There was a spirit of, we can accomplish great things. We can do amazing things. And so they engaged in all sorts of building projects that they engaged in like teaming up with all sorts of different people. Uh, the resources and the abilities with science and innovation in industry. It was amazing what they could do. I mean, projects like the Panama Canal were created during that time. And so people were incredibly hopeful about what we could do. And they, 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 they expressed things that we hear a lot in Christmas season here. Like, man, we can overcome poverty. We can overcome injustice. We can end violence and evil if we just work together for peace and unity the human condition we can do this one person uh, who was a famous uh, orator back in the day H.G. Wells expressed the idealism of the day this way he says can we doubt that presently our race will more than realize our boldest imaginations that it will achieve unity and peace that it will live the children of our blood and lives will live in a world made more splendid and lovely than any palace or garden that we've known going on from strength to strength in an ever widening circle of adventure and achievement i mean look if you got some optimists in the room today you're like woo you take it brother you know like some of us in this room like that's your go to he's like i got this we can do this and then World War I and World War II happened. And it devastated this philosophy. In fact, the same writer who wrote that ironically wrote this just after World War II. He said, Homo sapiens, as he's pleased to call himself, is played out. His depravity has come near to breaking my spirit. Can we see this in Isaiah? These people are like, man, I'm just going to go to this person and this person, figure it out, kind of do it in my own strength. And when that didn't work, what happens? Crushed. Who cares? We're never going to really make it anyway. So why try? And some of us in this room, man, that, that's where you're at. Relationally, things haven't working well. Emotionally, financially, 
your workplace, like, you just kind of experience the same thing week after week, and, and you get to that place of, like, well, who cares? And you know what you do? You do what a lot of us do. You're numb, right? You go home at the end of the day, you just click, turn the TV on, numb yourself with the office for about an hour and a half, laughing until you go to bed. It's not like I've ever done that, except most of the time. Um, Look, we can numb. We can numb through TV. We can numb through drugs and alcohol. Some of us in this room have done that. Uh, we, can, we can numb through shopping, right? In this season, you're just like, man, if I can just have that, life's going to be a little better at least, just a little better. Food binges, anybody else? Maybe your food binges and TV at the same time? That's me, okay? Uh, busyness. You crowd your schedule with busyness just to get through and numb some of the experiences that you're going through here. That's what we do. Sexual escapades, pornography, hookup culture, unhealthy relationships, even serving in unhealthy ways. And what we try to do here at our church, we have something that we call serve to, attend to, so that people aren't over-serving because we've realized that some of the ways that you can numb is just busy, 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 and you never stop, never stop, never stop, never stop. Jesus says, don't avoid the darkness. Stop. Stop avoiding the reality of the darkness by either being too idealistic or numbing it because you're just too despairing. Neither one of those is going to help you navigate dark times. Neither one. In fact, both of them are going to lead you in a very dark place. Uh, At the very end of Isaiah here, it says that actually led them to utter darkness, deep despair. Jerry Sitzer, in a book that he wrote called The Grace Disguised, describes a moment where he lost his mom, lost his wife, and lost his daughter all in one moment in a tragic car accident. Really dark moment. He was in the car. He was the only one who escaped. Chronicles this journey of how do I get through this dark time? How do do I do this without losing myself? And what he realized that no matter how much he tried to avoid that darkness, it just kept coming back, the reality of it. And so he couldn't just numb it. He couldn't just avoid it. He couldn't just say, I'm going to be okay. He had to go through it. And he came across this quote uh, from a guy named uh, Gerald Lawson who put it beautifully in a way that really struck his heart and in a way that I've never forgotten either. And this is what he said. The quickest way for anyone to reach the sun and the light of day is not to run west, chasing after the setting sun, but to head east, plunging through the darkness until one comes to the sunrise. No matter how fast you try to chase the sun when it's setting, you're not going to catch it. You could be so ideal, but once that sun has set, you're going to fall into despair. You've got to plunge through the other direction. And at some point, as you walk through that darkness, the sun is going to rise. It's going to rise. Don't kid yourselves. Don't avoid the darkness. So if you can't avoid the dark... How do you navigate through it, okay? In staying in the dark long enough, it's going to bring us back to reality and the fact that we need something, right? If you're in the dark, what do you need? You need the light. So here's point number two, ready? To navigate the dark, we must discover light. This is really important. It's subtle, but it's really important. Uh, In Isaiah, whoo, almost lost my notes there. (laughs) That was really exciting. All right, Uh, all right. In Isaiah, it says, the people living in darkness have what? Have seen a great light. They didn't manufacture it. 
They didn't make it. They didn't, they didn't force it to happen. What did they do? They discovered it. They saw it, which is really powerful because it comes from outside of themselves. It's not something that they could just kind of muster up on the inside and pull out where a lot of messages in this world are like, man, if you just look deep within yourself and look, you know, like as far deep inside yourself as possible, you're going to be able to make the light come. And Jesus says, no, no, like the light's not inside of you. It's actually outside of you. And you have to discover it from the outside. And only as you let it come in from the outside are you actually going to experience the true light. You cannot manufacture it. Here's one of the best messages of Christmas. Hard, but best. You can't save yourself. The reality, when Jesus came into this world as a baby, what he proved to us in that moment is you can't save yourself. You needed God to come in and step in and do for us what we could not do for ourselves. You need to discover it. You can't manufacture it. You see, Jesus wasn't naive about the human condition here. He understood it. He knew that it was dark. That's why he came in from the outside to fix it. This is what scripture says in Acts 26, 18. It's not in your notes, but it says to open their eyes. This, this is what God's whole purpose was. When Jesus came into this world, Jesus came to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Christ. We need him to save us. We can't do that on our own. Because at one time, as Ephesians 5, 8 says, at one time you were darkness. We have to own this. At one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. And for some of us in this room, we're like, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. I know I experienced dark times, but I'm not that dark. I'm not that dark of a person. Like, I haven't done really dark things. I mean, I know some people who have, but I'm not that dark. You could probably listen to too right now, right? You just got done with Thanksgiving and all sorts of family time. You're just like, yeah, Uncle Steve. He's like really dark guy, okay? Don't hang out with Uncle Steve. Anyway, um, but here's what I want to challenge you with, okay? Just think about why you do things for a second. And we're, we're not talking about like all the list of things that we know are wrong. I want to talk about the good list of things that we know are good, but why you do those good things. Because even that's messed up sometimes, right? Uh, sometimes I'll have my kids like walk up to me and they'll be like, hey, daddy, can I go wash the table? I'm like, yeah. You know, hey, daddy, can I go wash the windows? You know, can, can, can I clean my room? I'm like, all right, what's up? Can I show time? See, there it is right there. That's why you just asked me. And like, not, like my kids are, are genuinely great, but sometimes there's a little bit of a hidden agenda. You know what I'm saying? Um, for us, it's the same way, right? I mean, husbands in the room, this is a real honest moment, okay? You can't say that you haven't cleaned the dishes sometimes because you know it might lead to better things later in the day. You know what I'm saying? Like, just be honest, okay? Just be honest. The reason you do certain things can lead to better things, and that's your motive, all right? Uh, look, even some of us, we show up at church, not because it's a genuine motive of trying to encounter God, but you think, man, like, if I just check off the, the religious list there, God owes me one, right? I did my, my religious thing. I showed up at church, God. Now you got to make my life good. Even some of the motives that we have for doing the things that we do are messed up. Jesus says there's actual real darkness on the inside of us that we can't fix ourselves. He needs to come in from the outside. We need to discover this light. We can't manufacture it because we're in a broken state. It's too far gone. 
Light needs to come in from the outside. And what we learn in this Isaiah passage is not just the fact that we need light, but who that light is. Okay? It goes on to say, for, you know, light has come in in that dark times. And it says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of his greatness and government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. He's the one with all the answers. He is the wonderful counselor. No matter how many times you Google things or go to psychiatrists, and they can be very, very helpful, they're never going to solve the deepest questions of your life. He's the wonderful counselor. He is the one that has all the strength to overcome no matter what circumstances or heart conditions you're in. He is the mighty God. He is the one who's always going to be there for you, always there for you, and never let you down. He is the everlasting Father. And he is the one who's going to calm your anxiety when you rest in him and lean into him. He's the Prince of Peace. You have to let life come in from the outside. You can't manufacture it. You've got to discover it. And here's the wild thing about discovering light, okay? It takes a heart condition that's willing to accept things in a humble way. I don't know about you guys, but receiving a gift sometimes is a pretty humbling thing, right? It's humbling to receive a gift because in that moment, what do you do? You admit you have a need. I mean, picture Christmas morning. Someone gives you a gift and says 21 ways on how to lose weight. Would you be blessed or not? I mean, for real, just be honest with yourself, okay? Like your friend comes up to you and be like, here's 21 ways to lose weight. Oh, here's 21 ways on how not to be selfish. Like in that moment, you're like, okay, thank you. You can leave. You know what I'm saying? Like, like in that moment, like you're not exactly blessed because it's humbling to receive something that you need in a dark place in your life, right? That's the heart condition you need to receive the gift of Christmas, I'll never forget when I was in Denver and I was in grad school, um, there was a, a, a kind of a transition housing place called the Joshua House that would help people out of homelessness and get back on their feet when they didn't have a whole lot of money, when they were kicked out of their homes. Amazing place. But every single Christmas, uh, they would also gather up all sorts of resources to give these families Christmas presents uh, for those that don't have any Christmas presents. A lot like what we do for the Dr. Crisp Elementary School for the 80% and, and above that that uh, are under the poverty line. Um, so, but the, the, what they found was really interesting. When they would show up at these people's houses and give them these free presents, the mom and the kids were there consistently, but consistently the dads were nowhere to be seen. And they're like, why is that? It's because the dads were so humiliated that they couldn't provide a gift for their own family that they wouldn't even show up. It's humbling to receive a gift. It's humbling to accept that we need light from outside of ourselves to come in. It's humbling to know that we can't fix ourselves. It's humbling, but that's the only posture where we're actually going to be ready to receive light. I mean, just check, check your posture today. Are you like, I got this? And all kind of full of pride and all that? Or has God let you be humble enough to receive it from the outside. 
Here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. You ready? He's never asking any one of us in this room to do something that he hasn't already done for us. I love what Dorothy Sayers has to put about this. Ready? The incarnation, the birth of Jesus, Jesus coming into this world, writing himself into our story. This is what what happens. The incarnation means that for whatever reason, God chose to let us fall, to suffer, to be subject to the sorrows and death. He has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Listen to this. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life, Thanksgiving and Christmas, yes, from the trivial things to the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money, to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty, and he suffered infinite pain, all for us, and thought it well worth his while. If it's humbling to receive the gift of Christmas, the, the gift of Jesus Christ, just know that God did it first. He did it first. Okay, so now that we've discovered you can't avoid dark, you've got to let light come in from the outside. So what do we do with this? How do we use light now to get through some of these dark moments? I'm going to give you three things, okay? In, in 1 John, uh, it says we need to walk in the light as he is in the light. We've got to do something with this. We can't just receive it. We now have to do something with it. And so here are the three things um, that we're going to do as we, you can write this in your notes, trade dying in the dark for living in the light. You've got to trade this. This is a purposeful, actionable moment where you actually have to trade living in the dark for living in the light. Like, like that's a choice. Jesus is actually going to give us his light, but we got to make that choice of whether we're going to receive it or not, right? Kind of like uh, uh, POWs in, in World War II, uh, when they were finally rescued after years of being in their prison cells, uh, it was tough. When, when their rescuers came, uh, they wanted to pull them out of the cells, but the men had been so conditioned in that moment to stay in those cells and just kind of take the abuse that uh, not many of them were willing to come out initially. They were freed, but they had to, to enact that in, in their choice to say, no, I'm going to be freed. In the same way, Jesus is giving us light, but we have to make that choice to actually get out of the cell and experience the light for ourselves. So here's the first thing, ready? Um, we can't just like Jesus, we got to follow him. In John 8, 12, it says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me... Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So you can write this down. You got to embrace the life of Jesus. You got to embrace the life of Jesus's light. Look, the reality is we can't survive without light. We can't. Scientific fact, okay? I did some research this week because your pastor's a brilliant scientist. Not really, okay. Um, the reality is that light, without it, we don't survive in this planet. Scientists actually discovered that if the sun were to just all of a sudden poof, go out, that at the end of 24 hours, our earth would be zero degrees. And you're like, it's already zero degrees. What do you think? What do you mean? All right, look, <laughs> I just want you to know too, for those of you who are in here, if you're, if you're watching from home, you're nice and warm and comfortable. Last week, it was freezing in this room. They did fix a boiler, okay? We're getting better. Uh, anyway, we need light because at the end of a year, our earth would be minus 100. And at the end of that, it would actually stabilize at 400 degrees minus, meaning that life could not exist here. Without light, we don't have photosynthesis, which means we don't have oxygen coming from plants. Without light, we don't have 
energy. One scientist put it this way. For every second of every minute of every day, the sun converts almost 700 million tons of hydrogen gas into helium gas. And most of that turns into energy. Amazingly, we get more energy from the sun in a single hour than we, get, than we need to power all the devices of our planet for an entire year. We need energy from the sun. We need oxygen. We need light in order to survive. And scripture actually goes on to tell us that it's only in God, this is Acts 17, 28, only in God that we live and move and have our being. He is our light. And with him, without him, on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment, minute-by-minute basis, you actually don't experience life. We need to embrace Jesus's life. In Colossians 2.13, it says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. The reality is our spirits, our minds, our emotions are only alive, fully alive. When we're journeying with Jesus, when we're following him, when we're walking with him. You know, I thought about this this week, and I thought, what kind of life are we living? Like, are you the kind of person that when you walk into a room, you give life? Are you the kind of person when you walk in a room, you take life? I mean, some of us in this room, we struggle with that. When you walk into a room, all the energy in the room just gets sucked out. You know, and if if you don't have that person like at your office or in your family, it's probably you, okay? Um, Because there's some people that they they just, they take life. And what Jesus did, man, when he came in, he said, I want to give life to you so abundantly that I want you to actually be that kind of life everywhere you go. When the sun comes in and it lights up plants, man, it grows and it gives off good things. Do you give off good things? Light is beautiful too. I'm telling you, when you embrace the life of Jesus, life gets more beautiful. You're going to be more joyful and more, I'm not saying, you know, the circumstances around you are necessarily going to get better. But there's a joy on the inside that nobody can take away. This is true. (laughs) Well, let me just ask. Where, Where do you think people suffer the most depression and suicide rates in America? Any guesses? Alaska. Why? Because it's stupid dark in the wintertime in Alaska, okay? Like, there is a town called Barrow, Alaska, um, which they're like on borrowed time, I think, because most people are just going to die. In in the middle of winter, they have two straight months of darkness. The depression rates in 2007 in America, the suicide rates actually in in, in the United States in 2007 uh, were about 11.5 per 100,000 people. In Alaska in 2007, 21.8. It was almost double. Uh, if, you, if you take nothing away from today, don't move to Alaska, okay? Uh, that's, that's really the big point of what I want to accomplish today. Uh, just don't move there. But the reality is it's so dark that it just gets ugly, and your perspective on life just gets really dark and really ugly. Without light, man, we just become ugly people. And for, for a lot of us in this room, like, we need to learn how to become not so ugly by actually doing life with Jesus, by following him, by living the way that he lived. And when you do, man, it's going to get beautiful. It's going to get beautiful. Jesus told us through his, uh, his brother James, actually, in James 1, 16-17, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. We get our joy, we get our goodness from him, and that's the only way that we're going to be life-giving to other people. Do you spend time with God? Have you studied Jesus? And know what it means to actually live like he did. Because until you do, we're going to be ugly people. We're going to be ugly people. But he will heal our addictions when he starts understanding 
how beautiful he is. Okay. Second thing that we need to do is we need to accept the truth of Jesus' light. You can write this down. Accept the truth of Jesus' light. What does light do? It also exposes dark things and dangerous things, right? I mean, for some of us, like when you get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, if you don't got a flashlight, like it's dangerous times, okay? Real dangerous times. And especially when you got some kids in the house, like you don't know what's in the hallway. Really scary stuff, okay? But I mean, just imagine doing your commute down to Boston or wherever you commute to in the middle of the night without any headlights, without any street lights, without any stars, without any moon. I mean, just pitch black. Dangerous? Yeah. I mean, nobody survived that, right? We need light in order to navigate really dark stuff. And here's what, what God's word says, okay? Back in, in Isaiah 8, 19 through 20, right? We just read this. Shouldn't people inquire of God? Stop looking at some of these other things to answer your questions. Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instructions and the testimony of warning. Then you're going to have the light of dawn. Ephesians 5.11 puts it this way, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. That's what light does. Expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything is illumined by the light. How do we do this? Man, you've got to study this thing. You've got to study God's word. Because as Psalm 109 uh, 119, 105 says, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Guys, is this a part of your daily routine? I mean, do you sit down? Do you study God's word as if it's not just a good book to read, but essential for life? In this is the answers to everything in life. It doesn't come from a one minute of reading this. It comes from a lifetime of studying it. Is this a part of your daily life? And I'm telling you, he has called us to study this. I'm I'm just asking how much unnecessary conflict in your family, in your workplace, in your marriages could be avoided if we just learned how to obey Jesus? We need to accept the truth of Jesus' light. Here's the last thing, all right? When you get the light, you and I are actually now called to reflect that light to others. We're now called to reflect it. The reality is, like, if we're in a room with a ton of darkness here, I mean, let's just say all of the lights went off here. Everything. This completely pitch black. And you had a flashlight in your hands. It'd be your responsibility to turn that sucker on, right? For the rest of us. But a lot of us, man, it's like we've received the beauty of what Christ has done in our lives by paying the full price of our death and punishment to God and we've just been content to keep that flashlight right in our pocket and not showing it to the rest of the world but this is what Jesus said he says I've not just given you light but I've called you to be light everywhere you go in Matthew 5 it says you are the light of the world you guys not just Jesus you now are he's given it to you a town built on a hill can't be hidden neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl instead they put it on its stand that it gives light to everyone in the house and in the same way let your light shine before others let it shine so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven man this is why we're inviting everybody to the for the sake of the world giving Because, man, when we start jumping in, all of us, all in, and contributing to some of the needs around us in this world, man, I'm telling you, there's nothing that God can't do 
when we team up together to care for those who don't have Jesus, who don't have hope, who don't have basic necessities, we are the light of the world. That's why we do this. That's why we started this church in the first place. It's because we believe that there's a message here that can't be hidden. There's a people here in greater Nashua that have yet to even meet us, but that God has destined to be a part of our family, and he wants to unleash all of us together to love this city and to care for them in ways that are going to make an unbelievable difference. Do you understand that? Man, do people know you follow Jesus? Have you told them? The first first thing Jesus came to do after this whole passage was to preach. Do people understand who you are and whose you are? Um, We got a guy in our church. um, Some of you know him, Shane. Stud. Love this guy, not only because he looks good, but because he's awesome. Uh, Actually, he uh, he just got rid of a beard. That was really one of the best beards I've seen in a long time. It was a really sad moment. But anyway, uh, Shane is a light. He's been coaching cross country with a whole bunch of high school kids for a little while. And we baptized him within the past year, and he's just given his life to Jesus. And it's amazing to see how much he's grown in that relationship with Jesus. But he's committed to not keeping that light in his pocket. And the way that he's coached these kids and interacted with their parents has evoked questions. You see, some of the kids that uh, are on his team that he's been coaching came to his baptism, and they've been asking questions ever since. <laughs> in fact, there were like 25 people in this house when we baptized Shane. He like loaded this place up. And there was a moment a couple of weeks ago where his kid is in a, some sort of a school project, and it has a couple of references to the Bible, and he's asking his dad, man, like, what do I do with this? And his dad's like, well, Shane knows the Bible, Right? He's that, he's that whole Christian thing. Why don't you ask him? It started this whole conversation, not between Shane and, and, and the cross-country kid, but actually the parent. And the parent has said for many years that he's been an atheist, wants nothing to do with Jesus or religion or anything like that, but he starts coming up to Shane and asking him questions. And they've been battling it back and forth in this amazing dialogue for a while, and he's like, I want to know more. He said, when do you study this stuff? And Shane's like, I'm, I have a couple of groups that I meet with midweek. Uh, I, I meet with a couple of dudes on Thursday mornings over at Press Cafe at this time. And uh, he's like, you know, you, sh- you should join us sometime. Now, there was a Thursday morning where a number of things happened, and I meet with Shane on Thursday mornings at Press. And, uh, and we didn't meet for a Thursday because of a number of things that happened in our life. And the next day, this guy calls up Shane, and he goes, hey, where were you guys? He's like, what do you mean? I showed up at Prest. Where were you? Like, really, you came? And so we're on this, like, hunt right now to just bless this guy and let him know you don't have to cling to nothing as if we're just product of chaos and uncontrolled atoms that created this world. We have a God who loves you, who made you in his image. He's got a purpose for you, and we want to join that conversation and friendship to let him know that. Shane's a light. And for some of us in this room, like, you need to know this. A little light goes a long, long way. If we turn off everything in this room right now, and I had a little candle, you know what we'd still see? Most things in this room. God has called you and me everywhere we go this week to be that light and reflect the light that we've been given so that this world will be a different place. Let's pray.
Jesus, we thank you for not leaving us in darkness. Thank you, God, for the hope we have. That even when times are dark and we don't know what to do with it, we thank you, God, that you haven't left us in that dark, but that you came. You lit a candle that started a fire, and there's a movement of light all over this world to see lives change because of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. God, would you help us to not be selfish about that? God, I pray that there'd be some in this room today that would take a next step. And maybe their next step would simply just be to journey with you more, to open up your word that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path and study it, get real with you, get real about the darkness in their life. And for some of us, God, our next step is that we gotta surround ourselves with other lights so we can catch more fire and stop flickering out. Help us with that, God. God, and by your grace, would we be the kind of church that truly would be a city on a hill, that when people are experiencing darkness all over our city right now, they know where to turn to. They know where to go because they can see the light and it's radiating your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.